We're going to pray here. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for loving us and caring for us. We thank you for giving us your word to teach us how to behave, think, and act so that we could know how you desire us to live, to be an example to others. And we just thank you for that. In your son's name, amen. All right, today we're going to be looking at Philippians 4, verse 8. We're going to do one of those wonderful one one verse days. Now, as we get ready to read this verse, this verse is the power to live a Christian life. If you lived out this verse, you would be living the Christian life. And as we break it down, you're going to see why. It says, finally, brethren, this is his third finally in this book. (laughs) Uh, Paul made a great pastor. Finally, and in conclusion, (laughs) and in conclusion again, he's, he's almost to the final part of this book. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, Whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. How do we keep ourselves out of trouble with our Christian walk? We start paying attention to this verse. How often do we spend our week watching television instead of reading God's word? We spend our week working 60, 80 hours of work and not getting into God's word because we're tired at the end of the day and we just have to hit the bed and we we just don't get into his word. We don't think about godly things. We think about all the things that we are not supposed to be thinking of. And you know how easy it is to do that because we all do it. It's so easy to do the wrong things, think about the wrong things because we are a fleshly being and it is natural for us to do it. What he's asking us to do is totally unnatural. And so we want to look at these things and and kind of unpack them a little bit. Whatsoever things are true. Now this is kind of an interesting statement. Jesus told Pilate that he was the truth. And Pilate's question back to him, what's truth? As he walks away. Because that has been something that the world has been looking for for. Since, since man has been in existence pretty much, Adam and Eve were deceived by the serpent by lies and they were seeking what they thought was truth. We can be like God. We, we really should be like God. They were already like God. They were created in his image and the Satan lied to them and they sought something that they weren't supposed to seek after. We live in a generation today which is telling people that there is no absolute truth. Have you ever talked to somebody about God and had them tell you, well, that's your truth? Well, I got news for them. Truth is truth. Whether you believe it or not, truth is truth. Lies are lies whether you believe them or not. They're still a lie. If you believe a lie, it's still a lie. If you disbelieve the truth, that doesn't make it a lie. It just means that you are being foolish. (laughs) Truth is something that is right in every circumstance. God gives us truth. His word is truth. Jesus is truth. My example is if you go up here on on Windy Point and you decide that you don't believe in gravity and that you can fly and you jump off Windy Point, uh, you're going to have a very splattering experience at the bottom of that rocky uh, cliff. You 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 could totally not believe in gravity, but it really doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It is true. 
Jesus is truth. We need to be concentrating on him. We need to be in the word of God. And as we've said many times, mostly in the Bible studies, you know, God's word is true, whether we believe it's true or not. If we don't believe that it's true when we read it, the problem is not with the word of God. The problem is with me. Okay, if I'm reading in the word and I find something that I don't think is quite true, then the problem is not what I read. It is my lack of belief. And I need to go, God, I need you to help me understand why what you said is true. Or help me understand what I read. Maybe I read it wrong and it doesn't make sense, but God help me understand what I read or help me to believe what I read. Uh, we, we see this over and over again. J. Vernon McGee said that's where the rubber hits, meets the road, he, and he would quote so often, he goes, where, where the Bible and J. Vernon McGee disagrees, the Bible's right. No, that's what I want to say myself. If, if I disagree with anything in the Bible, the Bible's right, and I have to match my thinking to the Bible. And this has gotten the church in trouble many times over the years. And most of you may not know what event happened in 1850, but that was when Darwin put forth the descent of the species. Okay, in other words, evolution. Okay, and the second, the subtitle is the descent of the species. Okay, he was not saying it was a good thing. And what did the church do at that time? Because science was telling them that they didn't, that the Bible wasn't right. Instead of believing the Bible, most of the church did some really stupid thinking. You know, well, how can we fit evolution into the Bible? Or it can't be right because science is telling us this. They forgot rule number one. The Bible is right all the time. And if you don't believe the Bible's right, refer back to rule one. <laughs> okay? There's only one rule. The Bible's right. If the world tells you that the Bible is not right, you go back to say the Bible's right. Okay? Always. For years, they said David and Solomon never existed because they couldn't find any proof of David and Solomon. Well, about 80 years ago, they found all kinds of archaeological records of David and Solomon. They found out that the Bible was right. They just recently found records of jo uh, Joseph in Egypt. They're starting to find all these different records. The Bible is right. So when these smart people with lots of letters at the end of their name start telling you the Bible's wrong, you just say, God knows what he's talking about. He's just a little bit smarter than you are. No, you can have a thousand letters at the end of your name saying you've got these degrees, but God is still smarter than all those degrees. Believe the word of God. It's always proved right. It always has and always will. Because as we've said, if anything is not true in this Bible, we have nothing to put our trust in. Get a hold of that statement. If anything is not right in this Bible, we have nothing to put our faith in God. Because where, how do you choose what's right and wrong? It all has to be right or the book is worthless. And you know what? I've only been studying it for 46 years, and I have not found any problems with it yet. Now, maybe, maybe in another 46, I still won't find problems with it, and I know I won't find any problems with it. No matter how long I study it, there won't be any problems with it. Trust in it. It is truth. Think upon truth. Think upon the word of God. He says, whatsoever things are honest. Honesty. <laughs> we live in a world where people try to bend honesty all the time. Uh, and we've talked a lot about this. God's definition of honest in the, in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, is that you tell the whole truth and everything that you know about the truth. 
okay, are, are swearing in at the, in the court says, you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And if you've ever been to court with a lawyer, they will tell you, you answer the question just what they ask and nothing more. So you're promising to tell the whole truth according to the biblical standard, and your lawyer tells you to lie by what you're swearing to do. Most people don't think of it that way. But that's really what they're doing. Then they say, answer just the question that's asked you. They're telling you to lie by God's standards. And we're promising to tell the truth by God's standards. <laughs> and yet they're running the court by man's standards. <laughs> but you know how often do we do that kind of stuff? Well, let's see. I'm going to tell you just enough that which I th what I think you need to know. <laughs> you know how many decisions have been made in the business world by somebody giving them just enough information that the person thinks they know rather than everything they know? They know that the decision is going to fail, but they think the boss wants to hear that it's going to work, so they give them only the good side of the news. And then when it fails, the boss looks like he's really bad, and the guy goes, well, I knew it was going to fail anyway. <laughs> we need to be careful. We need to be looking at what is honest. If we deal with honesty, isn't this what we tell our kids when we're raising them? If you tell the truth, you're going to be in less trouble than if you lie and I find out afterwards. How many times as adults do we not follow that same statement? Uh, well, let's see, I don't want to get into all the trouble, so I will admit that I did part of it. <laughs> you know, and leave out the worst part of it. Maybe they won't find out about it. Yeah, we, we even as adults live with that hypocrisy all the time. We teach our kids one thing. We teach them God's way of doing things, and then we live a different way. And God says, live honestly. You know, the greatest thing about being honest is you don't have to worry about what you said because <laughs> you, you're going to repeat the same thing over again because you're telling the truth and you're being honest and you're dealing honestly with people. We live in a world where people don't deal honest with you. Yeah. It wasn't so long ago that you could shake hands with somebody and you had a deal that was valid that you could count on. Now if you shake their hands, you better have an ironclad contract behind that spelling out exactly what was, what was going to be there and it really didn't matter what you said. Not living with honesty. Not living the way God says to live. Yeah. And this is something that is so true. Satan has a whole bunch of lies. God has a standard and Satan puts out a whole bunch of lies. He goes, well, there's no such thing as absolute truth. You, you know, what you believe is good, what, what they believe is good. Yeah. And God says, no, I'm truth. Well, I'm just going to need to tell them just enough truth to honesty to be, you know, to stay out of trouble. And it's not no big deal. And God says, no, be honest. The next thing he says, whatsoever things are just. Now, justice is another one of those things that's getting really blown out of the water in our day and age. Just acceptable to God. Yeah. And, you know, we have a justice system uh, in our courts that doesn't work for the most part. You know, it does a little bit, but it also has a lot of problems. There's not a lot of justice out there. God is just, though. And he expects us to be just. Give people what God accepts. What does God accept? Well, you know, God gives us a great example. He says we're to love one another. Now, not a very easy task in some cases. You know, and one thing I've noticed is when, when people get upset with somebody in a church, rather than get, taking the opportunity to love that person and help restore them back to fellowship and back to God's kingdom and show forgiveness, what usually happens? Well, 
tired of this church, I'm, I'm, I'm either going to split the church because I'm going to be angry with them and, or I'm leaving this church. And there's some people that make a profession out of changing churches every three to five years because they get mad at somebody. Oftentimes the pastor, because the pastor says something biblical that they don't like and they go, well, got to leave that church. Uh, he, that pastor hurt my feelings. Uh, this person in the pew hurt my feelings. They, 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 they looked at me wrong. They, they, they were nasty in their, their voice. You know, what is the opportunity for us? To be able to love one another, forgive one another. You know, when I, when I, you know, are there reasons to leave churches? Yes, there's reasons to leave churches, but I'm going to tell you if it's just because you're mad at somebody, that's not a reason to leave the church. That's a reason to practice God's love and forgiveness. Now, if you've got a pastor up there teaching you false doctrines, that's a reason to leave the church. If God says, I want you to go to be ministering and working with some other church, that's a reason to go to another church. Make sure it's God, though. Make sure it's just not that you're mad at somebody. Uh, so I'm leaving this. I'm leaving. <laughs> uh, because most of the time, that's just opportunities to learn to be following him. So what is just? What is what God finds acceptable? Learning to love, forgive, being like God. Does that mean people get away with everything? No. no. It doesn't mean they're going to get away with everything. Number one, God's going to be their judge. Number two, if you really know the person you've been praying for them, you can speak into their life and say, you know, I've been noticing this about your life. You know, and I see that I'm just bothered by this lifestyle choice of yours. You're going out and getting drunk every Friday night. I'm just really concerned with the, with the godly message that you're not presenting to people. Uh, it can be from the teacher saying, preaching the word of God and teaching the word of God and saying this is a sin. And, you know, it doesn't mean that they're going to get away with it. That you say, oh, it's okay. Sin is sin no matter what. It is not okay. But if somebody's in the church, this is a hospital for sinners. It needs to be a hospital for sinners. It's not a fortress for saints. If it was a fortress for saints, none of us should be here. Because we're all sinners. You know, and we like to point out somebody else's sin. It's real easy to point out somebody else's sin. In the witness soul winning thing, we got, you know, it teaches us to go through the, through the Ten Commandments. And it goes, uh, one of the questions is, have you ever told a lie? Yeah, and everybody's going to admit you, that they've told a lie. And then they go, well, what does that make you? And most people do not want to say, I'm a liar. Okay. But if they turn it around and say, well, if I told you lies, what would you call me? A liar? And it's right off, right off the bat, you're, you'd be a liar. Okay, well, then what are you if you tell lies? <laughs> you know, it's real easy for us to point at other sins and judge their other, other people's sins. We want to be very careful about that because every one of us in this room have some area of our life that we have a problem in. That doesn't mean it's okay. It doesn't mean the other people's problems are okay. It just means we're all sinners. And we all need to learn to love one another and help people. Help them grow. Help them learn to get victory over some of their sins. Be looking at justice. Whatsoever things are pure. That's pretty hard in our environment, isn't it? Staying pure. You know, uh, I know I rail against TV quite often, but you know, it's kind of an amazing thing. You're watching a very good TV show, and then all of a sudden they put a commercial on. And they will put some very raunchy commercials on shows that are semi-good. 
<laughs> I'm not going to say there's any good ones out there, but semi-good. It's not, it's not really bad, and they put on these commercials that draw you into lust or coveting. You know, God says, think on things that are pure. We need to be very careful what we're thinking on. You know, walking down the street in the middle of summer, <laughs> you know, watching how people are not dressed <laughs> in most cases around there. You know, very hard to keep pure in, without making a covenant. Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lust, uh, with, um, lustfully at a woman. It has to be a decision that we make that we're going to stay pure. We're going to avoid looking at things that are unpure. We're going to avoid thinking about things that are unpure. We're going to avoid all of these things. And you know, we have all these issues. We have TV bringing in pure things. We have radio and songs bringing in impure things. We got the pornography industry just rampant out there right now. And any of your children and grandkids and nieces and nephews have probably been exposed to pornography on the internet. They say that the current age of first viewing of pornography now is at eight years old. You know, and it used to be up around 12 or 13. It's a, this is how bad our society is going. And as bad as it is, it's not, it's not the first time. Don't think it's the first time. In Greece and Rome, it was the same thing. They had pornography everywhere. And, and, and signs, they dig up these cities and they find the raunchiest statues and pictures carved that you can even imagine. It's not brand new, nothing new under the sun. When Paul is writing this, he says, keep thinking pure things. Watch what you're looking at. Whatsoever things are lovely, and this word literally is acceptable and pleasing. If we keep our mind on things that are pleasing, how hard is it to get mad at somebody when you're looking at the good they've done rather than the bad that you think they've done? You know, have you ever thought about that? You know, the problem with us is we want everybody to look at all the good we do and ignore our bad. And yet when we look at them, we look at the bad they've done and not the good that they're doing. This is saying, look at, what, look at the, what is pleasing, what is good. How would it change our interactions one with another if we're looking at the good that you're doing? I'm looking at the good that each person's doing rather than the bad that's still in their life. I love it when people say, well, how's the church doing? I'm going, well, I've got so many people growing it's, in Christ, it's wonderful. Now, when I say that, that doesn't mean I've got a bunch of perfect people. But it does mean I'm looking at growth. And there are so many people in this church that have grown tremendously since I've been here that it's an amazing thing to watch. Their, their thoughts, their talk, their actions are starting to change and be more Christ-like. Now, will we ever be totally Christ-like? I wish. <laughs> I wish. Of course, we might be like Enoch if that happened. We'd be walking with God, talking with God, and God says, well, come on home, and, and we would just step out of this world. So, you know, maybe, maybe if somebody gets that way, they'll be God, and we wouldn't even know that they were there. But, you know, we need to be thinking on what is pleasing and pleasant. When we look at one another, when we look at the world, we know that the world is full of sin. But, you know, when you're, when you're sharing the gospel with somebody, you can't beat them up for their sin. You want to show them that they are a sinner, but you can't be beating them up for it. You got to say, you are a sinner. We're all sinners. We deserve punishment. And we all deserve punishment. Every one of us sitting in this room deserve punishment, even though we're, most of everybody in this room is a Christian, if not all. 
We all still deserve punishment. And yet God is so merciful and loving at us because he says, you've accepted my son, I'm going to for- you're forgiven. We need to deal with one another in that same way. You know, hey, I'm so glad to see you. It's wonderful that you're all here today. Because <laughs> every one of you had a choice to be someplace else. And you know, we have about, about eight or nine people who chose to be somewhere else today for whatever reasons. Okay, because we are down a little bit in number, so you all are here. Thank you. <laughs> but we want to be thinking, what are we looking at? What is, the, what is the lovely? Whatsoever things are of good report. Good report. How easy is it for us to talk about the problem somebody else has? You know, uh, and you know, Christians are really good at, at this. They go, we need to pray for so-and-so because... And we give a really bad report to somebody. When you ask for somebody to pray for somebody, you don't need to tell them what's going on, unless it's something like a sickness or something. But you don't need to go, well, you need to pray for, for, for brother so-and-so because they've been, they're, they're suffering from, from pornography and they've been going out on, and picking up prostitutes each, each uh, Friday night. You know, that is not what you need to be doing to get them to pray for them. You know, you know, you just need to pray for this guy. He's got some really big problems in his life. You know, and when I've asked people to pray for something, you know what I normally hear? Well, what exactly am I praying for? God knows what they, what, you just put their name in front of God and you ask God to help them. And God knows what they need. You don't need to know what's going on. But you know, we need to be looking at good reports. You know, if we're looking at the lovely, if we're looking at the good, we should be able to talk about one another in a very positive light. The greatest thing in the world is to be able to say, you know, this brother or sister has grown so much. They're, they're, they are changing their life. That's a positive report. That's a good report. It's building that person up in front of other people. You know, go to one another and say, you know, I really appreciate the way God is changing you and, and how you're growing in this area. Build one another up. Be the body of Christ. And when somebody is hurting, we go and support them and say, you know what, I'm praying for you. I'm getting concerned with what I, what some of the things I've seen, but I'm praying for you. And I've said this over and over. If you're not praying for somebody, you have no right to speak to them about their sin. None. Zero. Absolutely none. If you're not praying for them, you have no right to talk to somebody about their sin. And if you're praying for them, God may not lead you to talk to them about their sin until the time is right. You know, we need to put people in God's hands and let him take care of things. All through, all through the book of Psalms, it says God is our defense. He is our strong tower. He is our buckler. He is our shield. Come and run and hide in him. You know, God is perfectly capable of fixing people without our help. Without our help. He does not need our help to fix people. Matter of fact, if we try to help him fix people, it will probably just make matters worse. Have you ever had somebody try to fix you? Fix your sin in your life? You know, I've really been concerned. I think you should be changing this area of your life. What does that do to you in most cases? Your defenses go right up, and you get entrenched in that sin even deeper. Who is, you know, who do they think they are telling me that I'm doing wrong? Try to do it with your teenage, your teenage children or your, your young adult children. Mom and Dad, you're always just trying to change me. Just accept me for who I am. Pray for them. Lift them up. 
if God opens up the opportunity, you share with them and, and help them. But you know, again, we go back to who's the hardest per people to witness to? Your own family. Who's going to be the hardest people for you to try to correct? Your own family. Your own kids. Because all they're going to look at and say, this is just mom and dad interfering with me, just like they've always been doing. You know, usually there's going to be somebody outside the family that can really change them, unless there's that respect for, for you and you're living the right lifestyle. Because, you know, if you try to witness or, or help your child change their life, they're going to look at you and say, what about this area of your life and this problem in your life? Because they know you as well as you know them. Maybe even better, because they're looking for those problems in your life a lot more than you're trying to look for their problems. And they'll point right back at you and say, you've got your problems. And that's what happens. If you try to change somebody in your strength, they're going to look, just point back, and you've got your own problems. And then Jesus even said that. Get rid of the beam, the log, the 10-foot pole sticking out of your eye before you try to take the splinter out of your brother's eyes. And literally, that is the comedy that Jesus was talking about. Here, I'm hitting everything, knocking things down with a 10-foot pole, and I'm going to poke you with my pole as I'm trying to pull the splinter out of your eye. We need to be so careful with that. It doesn't mean we don't pray for him. It doesn't mean that we don't speak if God gives us the opportunity, but make sure it's God. Make sure it's God and make sure that you don't have a great big pole sticking out of your eye that they're going to point to and say, you've got your own problems. What is the good report? If there be any praise, commendation. Now, if you apply this checklist to everything you do in your mind, this is a good verse to memorize, people. At least be, three or four of them anyway. <laughs> you know, you're getting ready to do something and go, uh, well, let's see, is this true? Well, no, it's going to present a lot of things that aren't God's way. Well, don't do it. Passes that one. Okay, God, is, it's, is this something that is honest? Might pass that one. If it's true, it's probably honest. <laughs> is, it, is it just? Is it lovely? Is it of good report? Take a look, you know, think through these things. This verse will be a life-changing verse. If you can apply it to your life, it is life-changing. Because it'll stop you from doing a lot of things you're probably doing. And many of you might be even thinking, well, I did this. Is this does this fit that pattern? You know, we need to be careful. What is it that we do? If we follow this, it'll keep us from sin. It'll keep us from harming other people. And then it says, think on these things. Literally, this means to meditate, make an accounting of. You know, have you ever taken an accounting of something? In the business world, you reconcile, you reconcile your inventory, you reconcile your checkbook, hopefully, <laughs> unless you like writing bad checks. <laughs> you reconcile your checkbook once in a while. You say, does my numbers match the bank's numbers? We think about these things. We reconcile the way God tells us to think with what we're doing. And you know, the sad thing is, most of the time, we're going to come up deficient. And that's our opportunity to repent, confess to God, and go, God, help me do better. But you know, if you don't think about these, you're not going to change. The first step in changing your life is to be thinking about these kind of things. Is it good? Is it praiseworthy? Is it true? Is it honest? Start thinking about our life. Because the world has got a whole other plan for us. Satan has a whole other plan for us to be thinking. Our body has a whole other way of thinking about it. You know, we're told that we have a couple problems in our life. 
the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's our problems. <laughs> okay, that doesn't even count Satan in the world attacking us. We have three problems that dwell in us that need to be crucified on a daily basis to keep us out of trouble. And they're out there to get us into trouble. And Satan is real good about testing, tempting from the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He'll put all kinds of things in front of your eyes to say, you really want this, don't you? And it doesn't have to be another person. It can be things. I've told you there's a multi-trillion dollar industry out there trying to get you to lust. And they put on advertisements every, every 10 minutes on TV for five minutes. Advertisements. Every magazine, every um, newspaper you have, have advertisements telling about how much you need these things that you don't really need. You're perfectly happy until they try to get you unhappy with what you have and tell you you need something that, that, they, that they've got the answer for. And, you know, have you ever noticed how they try to tell you how bad the problem is? You know, you've got this real big problem. I, I tell you, one of my favorite ones is the, the omelet maker. You know, it is so hard to flip an egg on a, on a skillet that you have to have this special device that closes. So all you got to do is flip the whole, the whole omelet maker over. You know, and the whole commercial, if you've seen it, is that, you know, they'll show somebody struggling to, with an egg, you know, and it's like, okay, you know, how far are you going to go to try to make me think I've got a problem? But, you know, that one's really silly and easy to see. But how about some of these other commercials that are giving you that you have a real big problem in your life that needs to be solved and only this product can solve it? You know. Until, until all these advertisements, most of us never knew that we were unhappy with our car. Gets me from point A to point B, the air conditioning works, the heat works, the tires are perfectly fine, and yet I start watching all these commercials. Well, my car doesn't have internet in it. It doesn't have tires that tell me how full the air is. It doesn't have, it doesn't have a GPS built in. It doesn't have a, a CD player like, you know, uh, and all these things. We go, man, my car is just a piece of junk. I really need a new car. You know, what's a car for? It's from getting from point A to point B, and yet and we were perfectly happy with it until maybe it's your friend got another car and we're practicing coveting. You know, we're violating the last commandment, don't covet. Wow, that's a really nice car. I really need a new car now because my car is not nice compared to this car. Yeah, We've got to be so careful with these things. We need to follow God's rules and commandments. Your friend gets a nice car. Oh, that's a really nice car. I'm happy for you. God, I'm really happy with my car. If you want to give me another one, God, I'll take it, but I'm happy with what I have right now and mean it. You know, we need to be able to say, are we thinking right? How do we think right? We get into God's word. Wherewithal shall a young man guard his ways by taking heed to your commands in, in Psalm 119. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. We concentrate on God's word so that we will live a righteous life. We cannot live a righteous life without being into God's word. We cannot live the way God wants us to without spending time thinking about him and his word. Meditate on his word. This is why I recommend that when we do our Bible reading, you do it in the morning. And you think about it all day long. And the good news, you know what I find? Even though I follow a schedule, it seems like whatever I read that day is exactly what I needed for that day. It's, it's an amazing thing. How wonderful is our God to have me on a scheduled reading plan that gives me just what I need to be reading for that day as I'm thinking about what I read, and all of a sudden I get to practice exactly what I read. 
whether it's forgiveness or avoiding a temptation or loving somebody or whatever it might be, you read it, you meditate on it, and that's exactly what you need for that day to get you through it. Now, have you ever not read your Bible in the morning, got to the end of the day, read your Bible, and go, man, this is just the verses I needed to get through today? <laughs> oh, man, God, if I had read this in the morning, I wouldn't have got so mad at this person. I wouldn't have defended myself and got into so much trouble because I would have been living your, your word. Is, is it mandatory to read the God's word in the morning? No, but all the, David said, early in the morning have I gotten, have I risen. If you're going to have a busy day, get up earlier and read the Bible before you start your day. Get into prayer before you start your day. My worst days are the days that I get up late and I forget, to, you know, forget or don't have time to read the Bible until later, and I have a miserable day. Every time. <laughs> I should know better. I should know to make time to read the Bible, no matter how far behind I'm going to be, I should read, that, read the Word. But you know, when I read His Word, the days go better because I've read, I've fed my, my spirit, and His Word is what I need. So my encouragement is, let's look Memorize this. This will be one of our memory verses at some time. <laughs> so get ready. You might start get a head start. <laughs> this will be one of the memory verses because this is a verse that is a power-packed verse to change your life. If you really want to live a Christian lifestyle, this verse is the verse that will get you there. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we ask that you help each one of us to apply this verse to our life. Apply this verse to what we're supposed to do, that you will help and guide us in all of that. Lord, if there's anybody listening to this message online that doesn't know you, that they will accept that they are a sinner, that they will come to you and admit that they deserve punishment and ask you to come into their life and, and cleanse them and that they will repent and then they will start reading their word and find a Bible-believing church. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.